This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. It all started in a garden. It all started in a garden. And God made out of nothing man. Formed him and placed him in a perfect garden. It all started there. Because in that garden, God gave him one of the largest tasks ever given to man. And that was to recognize the order that God had already instilled into the world to begin to name the animals as they existed. And the Bible records that God looked at him and saw that he was lonely. And that did not take God by surprise. And so God caused that first man, Adam, to fall asleep and from him created a woman. It all started in a garden. Read this with me from Genesis 1.27. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I am extremely honored that when we decided as a church to vote on the series that we've hit over the last year, what touched your life the most, that this series wound up on the radar there. Because I will tell you that this is one of the most deadly topics that I could have ever imagined tackling. It's culturally, it is under fire. Many of you do not maybe keep up with the news in the degree or look for things the way that I might, but perhaps you do. But the identity of man and woman is way under fire to the point that California governor this past week signed into a law that students in schools in California can choose which gender they want to be from kindergarten through 12th grade so that a young boy can say, I want to be a girl and he will be permitted to go to the girl's bathroom. And a boy in high school can say, I don't want to be a boy, I want to be a girl, and he will be permitted to change in the girls' locker room. That's jacked up. I mean, I don't know if you see that, but that's jacked up. 
And the problem is, is that for many years, we have been letting everyone redefine what is a man and what is a woman. Because in this passage, we see from the very beginning that God created us to be men and women. Male and female, he created them. You see, when I say it didn't catch God by surprise that Adam was lonely, God was proving something to us. Because I know some of y'all don't think this, right? But I just know sometimes these kind of thoughts float around. And if everybody was just like me, the world would be so much better. Those crazy women, if we just get rid of them, God knew we were going to think that way. And in his wisdom, he said, look, I put a man all by himself. There was no sin. It was perfect. And it was broken. And I had to go fix it. Male and female, he created this. When we went through this series, I spent quite a bit of time talking about, even just down to a biological level, the differences between men and women. And God knew what he was doing because I'm glad that he made women. (laughs) I'm glad my wife is a woman. I'm just saying that. There's something awesome about that. And I'm glad that God in his wisdom gave us differences. So today, as we begin to dive into this, we're going to look at the differences between men and women. And I want to really begin with this statement. God created men and women to be different. God created men and women to be different. And the heart of that difference is a complementing set of priorities. The heart of that difference is a complementing set of priorities. This is the kind of message I'm just going to warn you ahead of time that none of us walk out of here going, ah, that was awesome. I feel really encouraged today. I just felt everything. I've been doing all that. Just going to wait on the Lord to sh- This is when I when when God prompted me to begin to study this. There was one night, and I promise you that I I was in the middle of study, and I ran across something, and I was so convicted by God that I literally had to spend time on my face crying because I had blown it so bad. Because what the world has defined as a man and a woman is so far from what God would define that we're missing it. And one of the things that we say all the time is that God has a plan and we have a plan. Perhaps in this one we could say that the world has a plan too. God's plan is always the best. So let's look at what God would have. Let's begin with reading a small passage out of 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, if you're a man and you are prone to tattoo yourself, 
This is one of them passages that I would get on my body because it is that awesome. This to me is when I think of, and and I actually had the privilege of Dr. Wayne Gruden teaching me this passage. Um, This is one of those passages that is epic. It's Paul as he's beginning to shut down the first letter that was written to the church in Colossae. He drops this little phrase in there. And here's what it says. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. And be men of courage. Be strong. And do everything in love. What does it mean to be that kind of a man? What does it mean to be the kind of man that is strong and courageous and full of faith, but yet does everything in love? Because typically when I see the other guys doing, being courageous, they're not so full of love. How do we actually do this? And so I wanted to, in the context of this message, spend some time going through what the Bible defines as the heart of a man. And there are three things that I brought out. Typically, for some of us guys, there's one of these that we do really well. There's one that we're kind of on the fence. Sometimes we're pretty good, and there's one that we just blow it. All right? And let's let God speak to our hearts today as we look at this. The first thing that God has called the heart of a man to do is to provide. Is to provide. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have blown it. They have sinned. That which was holy and sacred, they have blown one law. All right? Every time we go through this, I just want to tell you that some of you think, if we could just get this whole thing simpler, I could actually do it. They had one rule. One. And they blew it. And at the end of this, as God comes and finds them having sinned, he goes through what the rabbis who taught the Old Testament called the curses. The changing of the ways. You see, there's a lot of gender identity that we find in those curses, but a lot of people think that that's when it started. No, that's when sin redefined those roles. And in that moment, in Genesis 3 and 17, God tells Adam, you will work the ground to create food, but you'll have to work hard. It won't be easy. I have provided food for you. And I told you simply don't eat from this tree. It was easy, but now because of sin, it's going to be hard. But your job still is to provide. Now, in the world that we live in today, most of our families are two-income families. All right? That's normal. And in many of those families, it is not uncommon for a woman to make a little bit more than a man. Now, I am not saying that as a man in that moment, you are not providing. I love what John Piper says. 
about the heart that God has given a man to provide. He says that when there is no food on the table, it is the man's job to go out and get some. Now, I don't know if y'all like The Walking Dead. A little freaky, you know. I don't care. If you don't like it, that's all right. We're going to do a series on it in October. I'm going to get you inundated in, in The Walking Dead in a whole month, all right? But there's this character, Daryl, in there. First of all, I like him because he has a crossbow, and that's awesome. But if there's ever a moment that he is with a woman, not because she's not capable, but because it's the heart and his character that there is something that needs to be provided, he is the one that will go get it. And that's the heart that God has placed into the heart of a man. It's the desire to provide. And I'm sorry, women, that we live in a world that has eroded that to a point that there are young guys still camping out in the basements of their parents playing video games, and they're not becoming the men that will go out and go make it happen. Because that's exactly the kind of heart that God wants a man to have. The second thing is that God has placed into the heart of a man the desire to protect And this is something that in our local culture, I think that we get it, but we blow it. The desire to protect, because I can go into any pool hall on Saturday night and find a girl that's got a dude, right? And if I say something that's ugly to her, what's going to happen with that dude? He's going to bow up and want to fight. But that same guy, is likely going to take that girl home when they're not married and do something that only married people should do. So let me ask you, what are you protecting? Because that's not the protection that God calls a man to have over women. The desire to protect always needs to be the desire to preserve God's will. The desire to protect always needs to be the desire to protect and to preserve God's will for them. You see, I do not understand what God can do with my daughter. But I sure as heck ain't going to let anybody get in her way. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do not, I don't get to make the calls on what God can do through my wife's life. But I can sure as heck guarantee that nobody's going to mess with her and keep her from doing what God has called her to do. You see, that's the protective nature of God. God, in his wisdom, does not protect us so that we're trophies on a case. 
The way that God loves us is he protects us for his will so that we are protected to become instruments used by him for his will to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. And that is exactly the heart that God has placed inside of a man. The desire to protect. There have been studies that have been shown where they took, and I shared this when we went through the series, but they took uh, uh, men and put them on an elevator and they, they put strategically put a woman in the back and they faked an attack from an assailant. And almost every single time, the man would step in front of the woman to take care of her. Because there's something instinctual in the built into the heart of man to protect. But we have to make a decision, men, what we protect for. And we don't need to protect like I said that God doesn't. We don't need to protect so that we have a trophy on the wall. We need to protect wholeheartedly so that God's will is preserved in the life of others. And the last thing that I shared with you that's in the heart of God as he placed it in the heart of men is the desire and the calling to lead. And that is one of those things that when we say this in our culture, everyone kind of cringes a little bit. I don't know how anybody's going to take that. I don't, I don't know if the women are going to get a little angry. You know, I don't know if the guys are going to go, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I don't know. But that's God's calling. But we've blown, really, the identity that we place with that word. Because all too often, leadership for us has been defined by, we make all the shots. I call everything that's going to happen. It's my way or the highway. You get in line and follow. Because I'm leading. And as we read through the Bible... It's not at all what we see that God has given in the heart and the desire to lead. Ephesians 5 says this, that husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church, like literally giving yourself up for them. And that gives us a picture into that kind of leadership that Jesus is the head of the church. Right, And how did he rise to that position? Because he was willing to do something that we never could. To live a perfect life. To carry our sin to the cross. And to, by the power of God, be resurrected from death. He was willing to make that sacrifice. It's that which raises Jesus to the head. And so when the Bible says that we're supposed to love like Christ loved the church, it's not a you serve me, it's a me serve you love. John Piper wrote an excellent book on this, and I'm going to bring out three points that he says about male leadership. The first thing about male leadership is that it does not demand to be served, but has the strength 
to serve and to sacrifice. You see, many of us grew up in a model of a home where leadership demanded to be served. But that's not at all what we see in Jesus. Jesus was willing to lay aside the right that he had as the prince of heaven to be born in the fragile container of an infant. So that a problem that we could never get ourselves out of could be overcame. The second point from Piper is that it does not assume supreme authority that belongs to Jesus, but supports and redirects to it. Does anybody know what my title is? Here at church, anybody know? Pastor, is there a word that goes in? in lead pastor. Y'all seen the term senior pastor before? Right? You know why I don't have senior pastor on my name? Because our senior pastor is Jesus. That's why. Because Jesus is the one that calls the shots, and he has, by his grace, called me to lead. But I'm not the senior pastor. And in your homes, men and fathers, it carries a lot more weight when you can say, I've prayed about this. God told me what we're going to do. Instead of just saying, I don't know, but we're going to do it my way. You see, Godly leadership as a man does not mean that we demand supreme authority, but we ultimately submit to supreme authority. And the last thing is it is not based in superiority, but the burden of a definitive responsibility to Jesus. I'm going to be very honest with you. It is a lot easier to not lead. It's a lot easier. In the past few weeks, I have felt the burden of having to have some very difficult conversations with people because of my burden and responsibility to Jesus to lead. But I can't step away from that because ultimately there is a burden that God has given me as a leader of my family of this church. And it is a burden and responsibility, not because I'm superior or because I'm better, but because God has a plan and all I can do is try to make sure that we follow that. Here's the thing about leading in your home, leading in your workplace, just leading in general. Everybody in this culture, when they start to talk about Leading is going to talk about you grabbing the authority. But great leaders under God's command are not concerned and do not want authority. They want to be submitted to authority. That's in your notes. Godly leadership does not want to be in authority. Instead, it wants to be under authority. I want to do what God wants me to do in my family. 
I want us as a church to do what God wants to do in this church. Because it's not about me. And to quote a good friend, we were sitting around and there was a couple of us and one of, one of the guys said, I just don't know that I can do this because I'm not real sure my wife would go for that. <laughs> I'm not real sure that's going to work in my family. And one of my friends said, godly women would love to find someone that's godly that they can submit their lives to with as they go through life. That if they can find in a man someone who's willing to look at Jesus and go, whatever you want with us, we'll do it. Whatever your plan is, I'll go that way. That there's something in the heart of God. And let's shift gears and to talk about what God has placed into the heart of women. God designed the heart of a woman to be, first one here is to be helpful. To be helpful. It's important to recognize, I love the way Lisa Bevere says this, that women were created as an answer to a problem. That there was a problem in creation and God created women as an answer to that problem. And it is completely shocking and sad to me that for many of you, God, the world instead has defined your femininity as a liability, not an asset. But as God created you, God created you to be the solution to a problem and to be helpful. So just to speak into the context of a marriage, many women with that heart become something very different that is not helpful. And they become enabling. Because they continue to with the sinful, broken behavior of their husband, cover it up, pat it, make it okay, try to remove the consequences, keep him from really suffering from the sin that he continues to choose. And they help him continue to sin. See, in the same way that we talked about, the heart of man is to protect, but to protect for God's plan. The desire to help should be aimed towards helping towards God's plan. So we use the term compliment because that's exactly how God created us to be. And it's always striking that when I sit down with a young couple and I'm doing premarital counseling, they will inevitably be really weak in one side and then the other person will be really strong in something. And you sit there and you go, all right, you're the spender, you're the saver, all right? It's going to be tension, but that tension is healthy, all right? You're the one that wants to go out. You're the one that wants to stay home. Good. Good, because that tension is healthy. 
right? You're the one that talks all the time. You're the one that doesn't, all right? Good, all right? Y'all going to pull each other probably a little bit. And, and, and it's amazing that God, through humanity, created this beautiful compliment. And that's exactly so. So wise, if your husband can't add, right, he can't even use a calculator, it might be really helpful if you helped with the money around the house. All right? It might be. Because that's the heart of God is to be helpful. The second thing is that God called and placed into the heart of a woman the desire to be nurturing. And I'm thankful for that, especially when I'm sick. <laughs> there ain't men. Raise your hand if you're just thankful for that in here. I am. Golly. I mean, well, I feel like a rock star when I'm sick. Like, you got the flu, and I'm getting weighted on hand and foot. This is, but there's something, and I, and I love it when I see that in my wife because there is something that is bent towards caring. You see, the, the definition of nurture is to literally love and care for something as it grows, right? To love and to provide the things that it needs for as it grows, so what ultimately is growing and where is it growing to and what has God called it to grow to? He's called it to grow towards Christ-likeness and the heart of a woman nurtures that so well. And lastly, that God has called the heart of a woman to be supportive to be supportive. In Genesis 3.16, as God shifts gears from the man and begins to talk to the woman, he makes a statement that's really difficult. In Genesis 3.16, God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. You see, as sin entered the world, it ended because, entered because Eve with a husband that was failing to lead, literally standing by her side. I mean, read Genesis 2 again. Adam is right there. It's not like he's off tilling the garden, all right? Adam is right there. Eve is tricked into eating this apple. And God says to her, your desire will be for your husband. Literally in the Hebrew, it should more accurately be translated, your desire will be for your husband's position in your life. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Fast forward a couple thousand years to Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians 22, 522. Wives, Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I'm going to tell you something if you're married here that I want you to understand and embrace this. Wives, the greatest way that you can love your husband is by letting him lead you. 
The greatest way that you can love your husband is by letting him lead you. By looking into him and seeing all the faults, all the failures, all the brokenness, everything that you see because of how broken of a mess he is and saying, lead me. Anyway. The greatest way you can ever love your husband is by submitting to him. And see, that submission, that's a bigger issue. Because broken in the heart of humanity is this desire in the feminine heart to control. To control our kids, to control our marriage, to control our situations. Because in the curses, in Genesis, God said, your desire will be for your husband. You're going to want to control something that you can't. And so fast forward to Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul makes this brilliant connection. Wives, submit to your husbands, not because they're perfect, not because they get it right. Not because every decision that they're going to make is the right one. Submit to them as to the Lord. Because your submission to your husband is directly connected to your submission to Jesus. Because ultimately, as a man, there will come a day that I will stand before Jesus and he will look at me and ask me what I did with my family. And I alone will have to answer that question. You see, the Bible does not ask that a family be led by agreement, by consensus. It puts into play submission because that means that there are going to be times that you are completely invested in a solution that your husband feels is not the right one. And it's his call because ultimately he will stand before Jesus and have to give an account. So how do we take these two things and put them together? How do we take the heart of a man and the heart of a woman with different complementing priorities and put them together? How should men and women relate to one another? The first thing is that we need to honor the different priorities. We need to honor the different priorities. That means, guys... When you expect to see your wife doing something that is definitely placed in your heart, you sit back and go, God made her different. There's a different set of priorities that are written into her heart, and I need to embrace that and honor that. Ladies, it's the same way. Because we all would love it if people would just be more like us, right? Right? But we're not. Because God made us man and woman. And the second thing is to respect the complementing roles. You see, 
There is no greater one. It's not that the heart of a man is better than the heart of a woman, that it's more powerful. Not of that. You need to, whatever would ever even remotely give you that inclination needs to be struck down. There are different sets of priorities that are there, but there is no difference in quality that's there. And we need to respect and honor the differences that exist between us. That needs to happen in your homes. It needs to happen within your families. It needs to happen in the workplace and in your relationships and in your friendships. We need to honor and respect the differences that lie between us. And I know that as I talk to you today, that many of you in your hearts are saying this. That's jacked up. (laughs) I know. I know that. I know that y'all are thinking, this is, I just can't. The Bible's old. (laughs) This has nothing to do with now. And that's what your hearts are saying. And, and the, the sad thing is that for many of us, we've been fed this line. Right? Just follow your heart. Right? Just, just follow your heart. Just do what your heart is telling you to do. We've been fed that line. And when I get in an argument, my, my heart wants to get really mad and yell. That's what my heart wants to do when I get in an argument. That's not at all honor and respect. Look at this passage. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The heart is deceitful above all things. My wife and I were talking, and she said the best advice I gave her when we were really young and together was this, feelings lie. I just feel like I'm supposed to be this way. Really? Okay. So God has a plan, and your feelings have a plan, and you're going to follow your feelings. Because that makes a lot of sense, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. I want to read the little passage that comes out of Jeremiah 17 right before that. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, right before that passage drops, before that little line drops. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. Does not fear when heat comes. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You see, in that moment, Jeremiah is describing someone who said, God, I do not care. Whatever the plan is, I want you. And then in verse 9, he says, What I just read to you, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
because there are going to be things that are right for you to do that your feelings will tell you are not right. Because as Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, our heart will follow what we do. He says that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So as we give, as we make a decision to be faithful with God's resources and give, our heart will follow what we're doing. If you're waiting on your heart to tell you that it's right, it ain't going to happen. Because God has a plan, and you have a plan. And the real question in this is, will you follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Let's pray. God, today, many of us have just kind of, maybe for the first time ever, encountered uh, some of the truth that's related to the way that you made us as men and women. And so today, God, as we pause together and take a moment to think, God, I just want to ask that you speak to us. Today in this place, there's some people, God, who are simply holding on and saying, I don't think I can do this. I'm not real sure that I can really buy into this is what God would have me to do. I don't know. But God, can we just stop saying you can only have so much and really embrace the fact that we want to give you everything. So God, we just look to you and just ask you to again challenge us and speak to us. With nobody moving around, everybody's eye closed, heads down, nobody's stirring, nobody moving. Let me ask you a question today, and I just want you to be honest with yourself. It's not really about me. It's not about what we're going to do over the next few minutes. This is really about you. Are you really willing to embrace God's plan for your life? Are you really willing to do that? Because I know that as we come to a discussion like this, most of us stand in this moment going, yeah, but I've done it this way. This is how I saw it done in my family. This is all those things that can get piled onto that. So today, if that's you and you just say, hey, you know what? I've been blowing it and I don't want to blow it anymore. I just want to embrace the heart whatever it is whatever God would call me to be whatever that would be I just want to be that person if that's you would you raise your hand right now that's awesome maybe today you've never made that decision this is the first moment for you ever even wrestling with that identity because To choose Jesus means that things in your life have to change a great deal. If that's you, if that's you today, 
just real quickly, nobody's looking around. Would you just slip your hand up so I can see it and pray for you? I see those hands. Is there anybody else? Awesome. Let me pray for those folks that just raised their hands. God, thank you for the people that are here today that just say that they're tired of doing it their own way. They, they want to follow you. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, God, for your glory and, God, for your good, take them and use them and guard them. And ultimately, God, change your lives and use them to make a difference in the lives of other people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's give a hand clap for those people.